Good to see you all here tonight. Um, I get the opportunity to share this evening for our midweek teaching. I know Hoyt's been going through Malachi, and that's been fun to follow along and uh, just see what the scriptures have to say and um, how God is working with, you know, a rebellious people at times. Um, so as I was, am I a little hot? Is that good? <laughs> um, as I was trying to think of what I wanted to do for midweek teaching, um, I was coming off of preaching this past Sunday with Psalm 22, um, and just really looking at suffering, um, Jesus suffering on the cross, um, and I'm actually currently reading through the book of Job as well, and so I wanted to tie into Job a bit um, this evening, and uh, as I was studying and reading Job, um, it's quite an extensive book. There's 42 chapters in it, and uh, it's not really something you can cover all in one evening, um, to do it justice at least. So I, uh, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to try and rush through something like the book of Job. Um, so this evening, I just wanted to sort of provide an intro to Job um, and hopefully pique your interest a little bit in the book itself um, and encourage you guys to go and uh, read through it if you haven't before um, after tonight. Um, it's quite an amazing book. It's one of my favorites. It wrestles with a lot of big questions of who God is, who we are, how does evil and suffering play into that kind of stuff. Um, so, and uh, one verse I wanted to read that sort of pointed me to this was out of James 5, verse 11. James chapter 5, verse 11. James says, uh, See, we counted as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Um, so James is pointing to this man, Job, and the endurance that he had gone through. And so I wanted to try and get us into that just a little bit tonight. Um, so let's see. We'll start, we'll start at the book of Job. Um, if you don't know where Job is, it's right before the book of Psalms. Um, and it's got 42 chapters in it, so as, if you're flipping through, you'll probably notice it pop up there. Um, but we'll be in the very first chapter of Job tonight, looking at the first five verses. Um, before we get into it, I wanted to ask, who here has read the book of Job? Cool, Awesome. Um, what, are, what are some of the things you remember from reading it? What are some of the, the things that stand, stood out to you when you have read through the book of Job? Say that again? Wrestling with his friends. Yeah, there's, there's a very long dialogue between Job and his friends throughout this, this book. Um, what other things do you guys remember stood out to you from the book of Job? Yeah. In the very beginning of Job, right after where I'm going to leave off at, leave it at a little cliffhanger, um, we see God and the Satan, or the Satan, um, are speaking and having a dialogue with one another about who um, could be tempted or um, drawn away from God. Um, so there's a very interesting you know, dialogue between God and Satan as well in the book of Job. 
Anything else that stood out to you guys that you remember from the book of Job? I <laughs> shouldn't always listen to your wife. I mentioned that on Sunday. It, it, Job gets to such a, a just terrible place where he's literally lost everything in his life. Children, livestock, workers, has his bodies even falling apart, and his wife tells him, just curse God and die. Like, just curse God so that God will kill you, and you can just not be suffering in this anymore. So, yeah, there's a very interesting part in there between Job and his wife as well. Hoy, yeah. 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 There's like, I don't know, 35 or so chapters of Job and his friends going back and forth at each other. Job's friends thinks that he's done something wrong. Job's trying to make a claim for himself that I haven't done anything wrong. I'm blameless. And his friends are like, N -n -n your life wouldn't be this bad, Job if you had been blameless this whole time. And then we come to like the last four chapters and God finally intervenes and answers Job himself, which is a very crazy thing that we'll see here in a bit because Job was not actually an Israelite or any, he wasn't tied in any way. So for God himself to intervene and come and have a conversation with Job is quite miraculous, quite, you know, awesome to see here uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, any other things before we dive into this that you guys have noticed from the book of Job? Cool. Awesome. Well, um, just a little bit more background to the book if you are going to read it after tonight. Um, there is a, a rough structure to the book of Job that I've sort of been mentioning at. Um, the first three chapters are sort of lumped together as an introduction to who Job is and what happened to him. And then the next 35 or so chapters are Job's friends being introduced into the story, and then um, Job having a time to speak, and then his friends having a time to speak in regards to what he had said, and they go back and forth for like 35 chapters. And it's, like Hoyt said, it's really interesting to see the, the reasoning of these men and why they think Job's in a situation, and Job is rebuttaling what they have to say, and it's, it's just a great dialogue that makes you think a lot about suffering and how God works in the midst of those things. Um, and then we come to chapter 38, as Hoyt said, and the last four chapters we see God answering Job specifically and answering Job's friends, telling them, hey, you guys actually got it wrong. Job is the one who has done well in the whole, this whole thing. Um, and then he actually asks Job to pray for his friends, and it's just a really cool tie up to the whole book itself. Um, and there is this restoration at the end with Job. Um, so that's a rough structure to the book of Job. Um, I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at the first five verses here in chapter one. Father, thank you for this evening that um, we can come together as believers, that we can um, sing praises to you, Lord, that we can open up your word um, to hear what it has to say, to learn new things, Lord. Um, I pray that as we're just looking at a very little piece of who Job is and um, what we have to learn from him. I just pray that um, what is shared tonight can be uh, challenging, encouraging in our own 
spiritual relationship with you, Father, and that um, it can just draw us closer to you, draw us closer to your word, and just to have that craving to know more of who you are um, and who we are in light of what your word has to say, Father. So I just pray that your word is speaking to us tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit is just working in and among our hearts, softening areas that need to be softened, and um, just helping us grow more and more into the image of your Son. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so I'll read the first five verses here, um, and then we'll, we'll break it up uh, and see what it has to say. So Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So the intro here is actually like, almost like, like a parenthetical note, I guess you could think of it, before we actually get into the story of Job and what happens in the next 42 chapters. Um, we get a, some background here to who Job is, who his family is, and the life that he's been living. Um, and I sort of mentioned earlier the breakdown, the structure of this. Of the first three introduc- introductions in this book, there's Job, and then there's his friends, and then there's an introduction towards the end of Elihu, and then God. Um, this introduction is very important because it sets the stage for the rest of the book. Um, because this book is really about Job, we see here in the beginning it's talking about Job. In the following parts of the first chapter, God and Satan are talking about Job. Job is the one experiencing all the suffering, and then Job is then the one who is either speaking or being spoken to through the rest of the book. So we really need to get a good grasp of who Job is as we dive into this book. Um, And so in this first five verses here, we learn five things about Job. Uh, The first is that he lived in the country of Uz. Um, And we're not exactly sure where this is. Um, There's no specific reference to its location, but we do have an idea it's somewhere probably in Edom, um, which is east of Israel. In uh, Lamentations 4.21, flip there real quick. It references Uz. um, Gives us a better idea of where it is. Lamentations 4.21. It says, So rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom, you resident of the land of Uz. So we see here that Uz is being connected to Edom. So we have an idea. Job is sort of in the land of Edom, east of Israel. Um, And what's important about this fact, I sort of hinted at it earlier, is that Job is not in Israel. Job is not being connected to Israel. 
he is outside of the promised land. Um, and he's not being tied to any of Israel's people or their history. The book doesn't start off saying, you know, in the second year of king so-and-so. Um, he's not referred to as a descendant of Abraham in any way. And so because of this, Job doesn't know a whole lot about God. He hasn't been a descendant of, you know, the promised group of people from Abraham and so on. Um, so he doesn't know a lot about God, but he does know him, we'll see, and that he still trusts and worships him, which is very interesting, that not being a descendant of Abraham in any way, he still has this faith and this fear of God and who he is. Um, and so then the second thing we see is his name. His name is Job. And there's been theories and different thoughts about if there's some significance behind his name or behind the meaning of it. Um, and there's, there's not actually any real convincing evidence that there is significance to his name. Um, there's no genealogy or family connections tied to Job. He's just a simple guy named Job. Um, and he does pop up a couple times in the Bible. Um, he pops up, I mentioned earlier, in James 5.11, being recognized for his endurance. And the other time he pops up is in Ezekiel 14, and I'll, we'll get to that in a bit in a later part. Um, but, so he's not some, like, super popular kind of a guy, right? Pops up a couple times in the Bible. Um, and then the third thing we see here, starting in verse 1, of who, who this guy, who this character Job is, is his character. And this is where it starts to get significant for those of us reading what this writer had to say. Um, He's from the land of Uz, his name is Job, and now we get to see his character. So it says, he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. So we see three things here. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Um, so why do you think it's, why do you think the author took the time to, address Job's character here in the very like first verse of this book. What is the importance behind getting Job's character laid out from the get-go? Yeah. 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 Uh, Doug was saying we have this established here because the next 35 chapters is this dialogue between Job and his friends, and his friends assume they have this thought that if you're blessed, good things happen to you, and if bad things happen to you, you are cursed. You had to have done something wrong. And so by starting off with this, by making it clear from the beginning that Job was a man who feared God, was completely, had integrity, and turned away from evil, it forces the reader to wrestle with that, that notion of what his friends were bringing to the table. Of you, Okay, so his friends are all saying, Job, you, you must have done something wrong, but the author from the beginning is saying, Job was blameless. So it forces us to 
wrestle with that and see where um, it all goes. Um, so, with we'll break down the, his character here, these three um, attributes that are put uh, addressed to Job. And the first being, uh, he was a man of complete integrity. And in other translations, it says he was blameless and upright. In the CSB, they just lump it together as an idea of being completely, um, having complete integrity. And so this, the word for blameless carried the idea of genuineness or authenticity. It was that when Job did something or when Job said something, it was who, tru- who Job truly was. He was genuine. He wasn't deceitful in his actions or in his words. It came from Job's heart. And so if Job is taking care of people and is successful in all these things, it's coming from his heart. He is a genuine and authentic person. He's sincere. In, jo- in uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, we see this word is used. Joshua 24, verse 14. says, therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers, get rid of the gods your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. So fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Um, so we see here the author is saying Job is a sincere man. Um, whatever his actions are, are the true overflow of his heart. Um, and it's important, this especially here is important that we remember as we read through the rest of the book of Job because, as we've said, we're, we as the readers of the book are going to be tempted to maybe think, maybe Job isn't all that blameless. Maybe he did mess up and is hiding something within him, not revealing his heart and what he's done. Um, but we must remember what the author has established here from the beginning um, as a stated truth of who Job is. And then the second thing is that Job is upright and this idea of him being um, having complete integrity. He's upright. And the, the word here for upright um, points to how he treats and deals with other people. We see Job is very successful uh, in what he does and how he treats people um, has played into that. And a good illustration of Job's character in terms of how he's been dealing with other people is seen in, actually later on in Job. In Job 31, verses 13 to 23, if you want to follow along with me in there. Job 31, verses 13 to 23. This is one of the last time Job speaks before the end of the book. And so in the middle of it, he says, If I have dismissed the case of my male or female servants when they made a complaint against me, what could I do when God stands up to judge? How should I answer him when he calls me to account? Did not the one who made me in the womb also make them? Did not the same God form us both in the womb? If I have refused the wishes of the poor, or let the widow's eyes go blind, if I have eaten my crumbs alone without letting the fatherless eat any of it, for from my youth as I raised him as father, and since the day I was born I guided the widow, if I have seen anyone dying for lack of clothing, or a needy person without a cloak, if he did not bless me while warning himself with the fleece from my sheep, if I ever cast my vote against a fatherless child when I saw that I had support in the city gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my back 
and my arm be pulled from its socket. For disaster from God terrifies me, and because of his majesty, I could not do these things. So Job is in this last sort of appeal before it gets to his friends answering him. He's saying, like, I fear God, and look at all the ways I've ever interacted with people, how I've interacted with widows and those who are starving, those my, my own servants, my own workers in the field. How have I always treated them? And he's saying, guys, I haven't taken advantage of any of them. I've never abandoned anyone. I always do what's best for those people. So we see he is an upright man. He cares for people well. He deals with people well. Um, and then, so the second characteristic we see of Job um, after being com- of complete integrity is he feared God. And now Job didn't know much of who God was, being from the land of Uz, not being a descendant of Abraham. Um, but we see here, the author makes it clear, he feared God. He had a reverence for God, and as we'll see throughout this book, um, he honored God and he gave thanks to God. He worshiped God um, even though he never really knew God. Um, But he definitely will get to know God. Um, And then the third characteristic we see is that he um, turned away from evil. He didn't want to follow paths of sin. Um, He wanted to be on the upright path. He was a moral man. He wanted to do good. Um, And so even in this phrasing, turned away from evil, it carries that idea of repentance. He was a repentant man. He never wanted to be going down a path of sin. He wanted to turn back and follow God in his way, in his will. He lived this repentant life. So we see these three character traits of Job, and they're all pointing to Job being a genuine believer. Um, There was nothing deceitful within him. He was a man of faith in God. And to see this being sort of proven, you turn to Ezekiel chapter 14, and this is one of the other places where Job actually pops up in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. Ezekiel says, Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would rescue only themselves by their righteousness. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And later on in verse 20, it carries the same idea again. Um, And in the midst of this, Ezekiel is talking about judgments coming upon the land. And so he's, he's using Noah, Daniel, and Job as an example of of righteousness, only these guys would be saved kind of a thing. And so in verse 20, he says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, the declaration of the Lord, they could not rescue their son or daughter. They would rescue only themselves by their righteousness. So we see Job is being lumped together with two pretty big names in the Bible, Noah and Daniel. Um, So a question for you guys, what's the significance that Job is being connected to these two other guys, Noah and Daniel? Yeah, yeah, men of great faith. 
Yeah, actually, in, so in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, um, Noah is mentioned in that. Um, I wanted to read that real quick because it gives us an idea of the righteousness that these men had. Um, we know that we don't have any righteousness in and of ourselves. It, it comes through faith. And so the phrasing here in Ezekiel can almost make it sound like these men were, had their righteousness of their own kind of a thing. Um, but Hebrews clears that up. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 7, speaking of Noah, he says, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So, Daniel and Noah, we obviously were men who lived by faith, and Job is being tied into that by Ezekiel the prophet. So we see that Job was truly a man of faith. Um, He wasn't some self-righteous guy that thought he was, you know, all the hot stuff kind of thing. He was a true man of faith who feared God um, and wanted to please God. Um, So, we see Job is a real believer. He's a good man. Um, What does his life look like as this good man? Going on in verses 2 through 3 of Job chapter 1, it says, He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Um, So we've learned three things about Job so far. We've learned where he's from, his name, pretty clear, and we've learned about who he is as a man, his character. Um, And so the fourth thing that we come to learn here is we're learning about Job's greatness, and it ties into what Doug was saying earlier. It's sort of setting up this thought Job is a man of faith. He's a man who fears God and also is very successful. And so there's almost like sort of a tie into these things that's going to be questioned later in the book of Job. Um, So we see, family-wise, he has seven sons and three daughters. And this, the thought behind this, the reason why the author includes this in there, is this this is a picture of blessing. Now today, Kids aren't always seen as a blessing, unfortunately. Um, but why, why back then would kids be viewed as a blessing? And why they should still be viewed as a blessing? <laughs> what was that? They carry on the family name. Yeah. They're from God. Yeah, just a blessing to be gifted with such a, a life to raise and to nurture and lead, yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Rosie. Uh, they, needed, uh, they needed the children to uh, take care of the animals being slaughtered, mm-hmm. the, the servants who mm-hmm. were Yeah, back then, life was much different than it is nowadays. Back then, it was semi-nomadic. It was all about um, farm life, kind of. They would raise lots of different farm-type animals, and they'd have crops and stuff. And so as 
a family unit, it was important to have people who could actually help with all the work. Um, and so sons especially back then were viewed as a blessing because they could work hard in the fields with their father and they could, as Rosie was saying, they could help carry on the family um, as you know, dad gets older, the sons would step up to carry on that work um, to make sure the family still had food and shelter and every, all those things that come with that type of lifestyle. So children were very important back then. Um, they played a huge role in um, the health of the family, the success of the family. That's why you see people like uh, Abraham and Sarah not having any children. It was like it was a pretty big deal back then to have a barren wife and then to suddenly be blessed with a child was huge. Um, so it's actually interesting that the author here says he had seven sons and three daughters. For uh, Jewish people, numbers are a very like, big thing, and so the idea of seven carried the idea of completeness to it. And so him having seven sons was like the perfect number kind of a thing. Um, and it's actually interesting in Ruth. 4, verse 15, um, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, points to this and saying her daughter-in-law, Ruth, was more of a blessing, was better than having seven sons. And so we see this idea of seven sons being like, you know, the perfect family unit kind of a thing. Um, and so for Naomi, who lost her sons and lost her husband to say, Ruth, as a daughter-in-law, was better than seven sons, takes that idea of completeness to the next level and how great of a daughter-in-law Ruth was. Um, so seven sons, three daughters, just, you know, perfect family that Job could have, a huge blessing in his life. And so not only did he have an excellent family, he had a lot of possessions. He was a very successful farmer, he had massive herds and flocks. You see them listing it out here. 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And along with all these massive herds and flocks, um, he had a large workforce. He had um, a large number of servants, a very large number of servants, it says. Um, and so Job has quite the estate quite a lot to uh, look over and take care of and is very much viewed as blessed. Um, and so we see this picture of great wealth and power and the author sums it all up saying, Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. So meaning everyone to the east of Israel is the idea. Job was the greatest. This guy was the greatest. And so the author is building up this huge um, foundation as to the greatness of Job. And then as the story continues on, we see the great fall, at least, of all that Job has. Um, and so it sets up this very drastic change in Job's life, all to be looking at his faith in the midst of all that. Um, so carrying on, we see that Job was a great and successful man. Um, and then these last couple of verses here, we see the fifth thing that we learn about Job. He had sort of one concern. He, he carried some anxiety. Um, so in verses four and through five, it says, his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, 
Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So we see Job is concerned about his children. He carries some anxiety about the hearts of his kids. Um, and these, what, the way it's describing it here, it's not trying to describe Job's kids. It's like they're just rebellious teenagers partying kind of a thing. Um, the way it's written here is it's more of like when an, a big event was coming up in the family, like a birthday, the sons would invite the sisters over to celebrate a birthday with the family. Um, and so throughout the year, they would have these banquets, these celebrations, um, and it was just a normal family thing. It wasn't like they were wicked children going and, you know, doing terrible things. Um, but we'd see at the end of these parties, at the end of these banquets, Job would gather his, his children, and they're young adults, at least by this point. They're in their own homes. Um, his daughters are, aren't probably married yet as they would go and attend the parties with their, their brothers. Um, and so Job would, would gather all of, all of his children after these, these celebrations, and he would perform a religious sacrifice. And we see here, it, would, it, it phrases it early in the morning. Um, he would rise early to offer these burnt offerings for all of them. So we see Job's heart in this is that it was, it was urgent. This was important. He was eager to get this done before the kids would go about their day or go back to their homes. Um, he wanted to make sure before they left, he could perform a burnt offering for them. And so this burnt offering in line with, you know, Israelite practices was actually one of the most expensive offerings you could give. And it um, pictures, you're, you're pretty much sacrificing a whole animal to be burned. And the, the burning of the animal symbolizes God's wrath burning this animal in place of the person. And so Job, because he was so concerned for his children, saying, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts, every time after they would have a party, they would offer, he would offer an animal for each of his children. And so it, this was very serious to Job um, because he understood the weight of sin. He understood the importance of being uh, obedient to God and not wanting to be cursing God in your own heart. Um, because if it's not atoned for it, he understood that there was some pretty serious punishment or consequences to that. So Job, even though he wasn't an Israelite, he understood the importance of atonement, of making peace with God through sacrifice on behalf of another by offering these burnt animals for his children. And so he makes this a regular practice. Job had made this a regular practice for any potential sin. Notice how it doesn't say like his children actually did sin in any way. Job was just so concerned. He carried anxiety that just perhaps, just maybe, his kids had carried some sin in their heart, that they had cursed God in some way in their heart. Um, and so this is where the intro ends. Uh, with Job's knowledge of the darkness that is within human hearts. And so we see <clears throat> that Job is a good man. He, is com he has complete integrity. He's both blameless 
in his own actions and his own words. He is sincere. He is authentic. Um, and he is upright in all those that he interacts with. He is, um, he fears God. He's offering sacrifices on behalf of his kids. He understands the weight of sin. And he also turns away from evil. He lives a life wanting to follow God in repentance, not seeking his own will or evil desires. And so Job is a good man, and he's also a great man. He is wealthy, he is healthy, and he has the perfect family, right? So all this is being set up in this intro of the book of Job. But then as you progress into the story, into verse 6, the question for Job becomes, will he continue to be a good man when he ceases to be a great man? Because what's going to happen to Job is that God is going to have this dialogue with Satan, and Satan is calling Job out for his faith because he thinks Job only believes God. Job, Job only worships God because everything's good in Job's life. And so Satan wants to, to destroy Job, ultimately. That's Satan's goal. And God works, uses Satan for his own will, because God's sovereign, to pull all these things away from Job's life to test his faith. And so we see in, through the end of chapter 2, it all happens really quick. Everything is taken from Job. He loses all of his herds, all of his flocks, all of his kids are killed, loses all of his servants, everything is gone. And then, again, there's another dialogue with God and Satan and this sort of like heavenly counsel kind of a thing. And Job still hasn't like renounced faith. Job still hasn't cursed God. And Satan says, well, you haven't inflicted like his own skin. Like you've hurt everything outside of him, but you haven't hurt him personally. And so God then uses Satan to inflict Job with sores on all over his flesh. And at this point, it gets to Job's own wife telling Job, just curse God and die. Just, just get this over with. I'm just saying, because Doug pointed it out. <laughs> Sorry, Leslie. <laughs> you would never say that. Um, but we see that Job's own wife sees the amount of suffering and pain that he is in and sees it as it's better for you to just die, Job. Just get your life over with. You might as well not suffer through this. It's the worst it could be. Um, Job says, should we only accept good from God and not adversity? And it says, throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he has said. And now I know there's a lot that I just brushed over super quick. Um, but my hope is that if you haven't read this, or maybe if you have read this before, to go back and read through it again with this understanding of who Job is and this wrestling with God that Job has, trying to figure out, God, what are you doing in the midst of all this? Why, why, are you, why is this happening to me? Um, and we can even learn from Job's friends and the dialogue they're having of what we really shouldn't say to our friends when they're suffering. And we see a lot of things of what not to say. So um, just getting to the really good, interesting, and challenging texts here in Job, I'm definitely leaving you guys short on that. Um, but I encourage you to read it on your own time and to see what becomes of Job and these bigger questions that arise with justice, 
evil, suffering, and God's sovereignty through all of it. So I'm going to pray, and then we can uh, wrap this up. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you that we could open up your word together um, and get a little taste of who Job was and what the interaction will end up being between you and him. Father, I pray that we can learn from Job, that we can learn from his example, that we can learn from the dialogue that he has with his friends, that he has with you. Father, I pray that even if everything is taken from us, I pray that we don't curse you and forsake you. Father, may we learn from this rich, deep book to still seek you first in all things, even when it seems like nothing is pointing to you. Father, I just thank you for this evening that we could come together and sing songs and just learn about who Job was. I pray that you'd be with us this week. Um, I pray that we'd be in your word and just seeking you first in all things. Pray in your name. Amen.